and it's all about priorities for me. Like, what's your purpose? You know, what's your practice? And, and how are you going to master your craft? How are you going to pursue that? Welcome to the Players Podcast. This is your host, Coach Noza. On today's episode, we are talking with Henry Barrera. Henry is the Director of Sport Performance at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. He works directly with the men's basketball program. We talk about maximizing your training off the court, as well as improving your mental performance and your overall approach to basketball and life. The Players Podcast is brought to you by the Salem Hoops Project. The Salem Hoops Project provides free basketball training to kids in Northeast Salem, Oregon. It's our firm conviction that no child should be limited from athletic opportunity due to financial limitations. For more information, visit the SalemHootsProject.org. Now on to the show. You spend a lot of time researching not only athletic development, but also mental training, leadership principles, life enhancement, and a lot more topics that, that are more relevant to life as opposed to just basketball. What are some pillars that any athlete could set their foundation for preparation on? Man, you know, I have personal performance pillars that I just live by. I'm going to give those to you real quick. So it's mindset, sleep, nutrition, training, and readiness. And by readiness, I mean like how you're adapting to what you're doing or not adapting. So those are kind of my pillars, you know, and I'll, I'll kind of dig into those a little bit. Uh, there's a guy named Fergus Conley who wrote a book called Game Changer that has really impacted me. We've become good friends, and we talk quite a bit. So he has these things he calls co-actives, and it's uh, the psychological piece, the physiological piece, the technical piece, and the tactical piece. And those are kind of the filter that I look through everything at. So if I'm improving or not improving, I try to use those as a filter. When you say filter, what are some things that you might recognize, whether it's in your life or while you're training, what are some things you recognize that cause you to stop and need to filter those things? So, so to me, there, there has to be reasonable improvement in reasonable time. You know, so you have to know that you're improving. Um, so I'm going to give you a cheesy example, but I think sometimes when I watch the game, there's a, there'll be a player who's strong enough but not skilled enough to make a play, or there'll be a player who's skilled enough but not strong enough. You know, so there's... There's always this uh, dichotomy of, like, if you get any stronger, is it going to help your game anymore? Uh, I, I think for a lot of people, not really. Uh, and vice versa, there's players that are really, really skilled that just don't have the, the, the strength to, to make plays. So there's got to be a little bit of both, and for me, that's the filter I use. So am I improving at what I want to improve at at a, at a reasonable rate? When it comes to the weight room, there are so many different philosophies on training for sports. When it comes to basketball, how should a player be focusing his time while in the weight room? So for me, like what will happen most times is a parent will call me or, or, or a college athlete or a pro and they'll say, I have to get better at, at this thing. Well, most times what happens is people say, I want to get, get shredded and I want to get a higher vertical jump and I want to get faster and I want to get stronger. And they have four or five different things. So my answer is always, you can't stand up and sit down at the same time. Like pick one and let's attack it and let's get better at it and let's go. And uh, a byproduct of that is getting better at other things too, you know. But you got to have extreme focus. So I think for most players, simplify, man, simplify. You don't need to do you know ten different exercises in one workout. You know, pick three or four, and be really, really specific and really detailed. Uh, for my guys specifically, I give them kind of two two really key ideas. One is thresholds. If you're not willing to hit certain thresholds, you know, if you're trying to put on lean muscle mass. 
if your rep should be higher, you know, like 12, 15, you're trying to really, really get the muscle to respond. If you're trying to get stronger, your rep range is going to be a lot lower, but you're going to lift heavier weight. So, you know, all this stuff is, it's, it's not, it's not rocket science. You know, you, you have to have a, a specific, specific set, specific rep for, for specific response. Is there a, is there a time limit or I guess, is there an ideal time amount that somebody should be in the weight room per session or is that going to vary depending on your time of year and your programming? Yeah, it's going to vary a little bit. So for me right now, the, the way that, I, you know, I, kind of the biggest revelation is I understand that not every player is going to like to lift or want to lift. Uh, that doesn't mean they shouldn't. Uh, I think... I think they should, players in the offseason should be spending, you know, three to four hours a week. I don't care how that's chopped up in 30-minute segments, 45, 60 minutes. You know, it's just an investment in, in enhancing their body. So I don't think there's like a, a set time. I think, you know, do, do enough to get the response you want. You know, some people need more, some people need less. Uh, so I, don't, I wouldn't put like an exact number on it. I just put like, just get enough in. It's going to make a difference for what you need. When it comes to off-season training, what kind of balance should there be when it comes to weight room, recovery, skill development, pickup games? How should a player be breaking up their time during the off-season? So, man, I, I work out priorities. You know, I'm, I'm going to give you lots of little alliteration. So purpose, practice, and pursuit are, is a really big kind of staple in my life. So purpose, like what, what is your ultimate purpose for what you're doing? Uh, your practice is your day-to-day, like, how you live your life and then your pursuit is basically how you're how you're mastering your craft um so i think off season wise like priority like if if you can't shoot the ball then obviously you have to put some time in shooting the ball and perfecting that uh if you know you have to get stronger then you're gonna have to put you know more emphasis more time into getting stronger so it's all about priorities for me like What's your purpose? You know, what's your practice, and, and how are you going to master your craft? How are you going to pursue that? You've coached all different levels, from youth to pro. You spent a lot of time in high school. You spent quite a bit of time at the college level. Right now, you're kind of at the tail end of a transition from high school level to Division One college. What can you tell a player about the differences between your typical high school player, who might say they want to be good, who might say they want to get a scholarship? versus the players you see that come in, get a scholarship to a Division One college, and are really thriving? Man, you know, I've been around some really, really good players at all levels, um, elite players, and I think that the difference to me is in how they live their lives, man. That's the difference. So uh, probably the biggest difference from college to high school to college um, is the level of commitment. You know, in a high school team, you have, you know, 12, 15 guys, and some are into it, some are not, some are, like, obsessed about it. You know, so there's, like, a continuum, a scale of, of like, are you interested in the game or are you committed to the game or are you obsessed with the game? Uh, So I think, you know, the higher you climb, the more competitive it gets. You know, the game gets faster. Uh, It's basketball is basketball, but guys are going to get more athletic. They're going to get, you know, more skilled. Um, so there's kind of a, a natural weeding out process of the players who are really, you know, dedicated and, you know, just really want to perfect their craft. So that, that's the difference, man. You know, now I'm working with, with 12 guys who are the best guys on their teams, um, who have high expectations of themselves, who, who have aspirations of playing at the next level. So it gets more and more competitive. 
You talked about lifestyle. Is there one player you can think of? You don't have to name him or not. You can name him if you want to. Is there one player you can think of who kind of is the the ideal or as close that you've seen to living that lifestyle and maximizing their potential as a player? Man, I, I think I can name a couple guys, you know. I mean, for me, like the type of kids that I grew up coaching, I, I mean, I think Peyton Pritchard comes to mind. You know, these are Oregon guys that I think people will know from your area. So, you know, Brian McGill, um, Nigel Williams-Goss, like these guys, I saw them as, as little guys, man, like 6th, 7th, 8th grade, and I saw I saw them in the gym in the morning. I saw them at noon. I saw them at night. You know, so anytime that I was in the gym, and I was in the gym a lot, I'd find these guys, not because anybody was asking them to do it, because they just want to be great. And I think you're seeing kind of the, the evolution of those guys and more and more guys making money playing basketball. You know, there's those are just a couple guys, you know, that, that I work with specifically. But they, they're different, man. My, my biggest revelation is when I look back, like, there's, there's just players who are different. They live a different lifestyle, and they're reaping the rewards of, of how they chose to live. you have any specific examples? Maybe some, some habits they had that you don't see from a lot of guys or guys who maybe didn't reach their potential. Yeah, no doubt. I think um, for, for, the, for the most part, it was their, not just their time in the gym, but their energy. So when they were in the gym, their separator was how they worked. It wasn't just they were putting in time. Everybody puts in time. Like everybody wants to be good, and they're going to put in hours. It's what they put into those hours, and you could see the difference. You could visually see the difference of the, the focus and the intensity and the, the you know the details with which they practice. So that to me is the ultimate separator. A lot of a lot of guys get in the gym. A lot of guys get shots up. You know, you and I grew up like that. Um, so it doesn't impress me that a guy's just in the gym. I want to see what, what they get out of their gym time. Is it necessary for a player to? have a trainer in the off season. You talked about when we grew up, yeah, it was basically you get shots up, maybe do some ball handling drills and play some games. And now it's become so popular for most players to have a trainer that they go to for pretty much all of their off season work. Do you think now where the game has changed, is it necessary for a player who wants to reach the highest level that they can reach uh, hire a trainer? Or is this still something that somebody could go out and do, you know, kind of on their own or with friends? Well, I think you can, I'm old school, man. I think you can do it on your own. But, but uh, like, literally, I just hired a coach to coach me in a, in a different realm of my life, like, last week, you know. So I think there's a value to it. For me, personally, I think you should do that every once in a while to get feedback, immediate feedback, and, and just to think outside the box. You know, I think sometimes practicing on your own, uh, can get it can get stale, you know. But if you if you want to be great, it's gonna be stale. And the thing that always blows me away is people think it's glamorous. You know, they think it's uh, you know, they see they see kind of the the lifestyle, but the life is not the fun part, man. That's waking up every day early, staying up late, getting an extra work. So yeah, I hope that answers your question there. I kind of agree with you. I think maximizing potential can still be still be done in the old school way of of kind of taking the initiative, identifying what you want, and getting out there and working. I, th- I think there's positives to having a trainer, definitely like you said. But if that's not accessible to you and it's not to everybody, then it can still be done. And I know when I grew up, it wasn't something I did, but I was able to find ways, whether it's picking up things here and there from people that I saw or just using what my dad had taught me. And I was able to achieve things that nobody thought I could. 
And when you grew up and you were in Washington, what were some of the things you did growing up to separate yourself? Man, this is so fun, also, just because uh, I think basketball has, has been a big part of our friendship. It's how we met, uh, playing in Latino tournaments and just uh, wherever we could find. So, man, for me, I think you, 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 you growing up, you try to find everything you can to improve. So I remember going through, like, the strength shoes program, jump ropes, running up hills, doing push-ups, pull-ups, just finding ways to, to bridge the gap, you know? Like, I'm not a very big guy, so I had to find anything I could, I could find that would help me compete at, at you know the level I was at and I just kept I just kept growing you know from from just running to lifting weights to, to watching what I ate to, to sleep you know there's just a, a natural evolution you know so I think uh, more than anything in this knows I want, I want people to see your heart and what basketball has done to bring us together and just our friendship so I'm gonna ask you some questions man. <laughs> tell me a little bit uh, about uh, you know your dad writes and stuff and I'm always impressed with that. But just, just a little bit about your basketball story, man. Just tell me, tell me what it means to you. Uh, you know, basketball for me is, is almost like, you know, almost like a second parent. My mom died when I was nine, and, you know, you can think back to your childhood and the memories you have up until nine. You know, there's not really too many that are vivid. So most of my memories are uh, just being with my dad and my brother. And when my dad would be off at work, my brother and I would would just be playing basketball most of the day or you know, watching basketball on VHS tapes. And it became something that I found safety in. So for me, it was just it was just embedded in my life. And when I got older and realized I wasn't as good as I originally thought I was when I was a kid or, or that I hoped to be, I think it was a point in my life when I could have turned around and quit or... I had to realize that sacrifices needed to be done. And like you said, eating habits were kind of influenced because I wanted to be good at basketball. Lifestyle habits were influenced because I wanted to be good at basketball. And it became such a, I would say, habit for me to find a way to get the best out of myself that I think the best part of what basketball did for me was help create life habits. So now everything I do, I approach like I approached basketball when I was in high school. I'm not the best right now. How can I become the best that I can be? I'm not going to be better than everybody, but I can reach a new level by changing habits and by setting a level of excellence in what I do. Man, that's pretty fire, Jose. So here's, here's what I think about, man. When I think about you, I think about a radical transformation, man, in mind, body, and soul. I'm really, really drawn to people who pursue the best in themselves, not, not being the best in the world or... or from an ego standpoint, but from just trying to be the best person they could be and that bleeding into every aspect of their life. So uh, I hope that you uh, publish this, uh, you know, your heart, your, your mind, you, the way you care for people, the way you interact is a blessing to me, man. And I know a lot of other athletes are, are you're changing lives, man. So keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate you just as a friend. Uh, and as a professional, so thank you. I think one thing I've always appreciated about you is the similarities we have from when I met you in the Latino tournaments and connected with you at Nike, and then we got to work together at Shoot360, and I was able to see your approach to work and how serious you took things too, and that really influenced me to, you know, I, I know you've talked about a book called Becoming Pro, and that really influenced me to kind of approach everything like I, I am a pro, like this is what I do. 
And if I'm going to do it, I got to do it to the best of my ability. I got to treat it like a profession. So being around you has helped me kind of narrow my targets and seeing the way you approach things helped me really become more fine-tuned in, in how I did things as well. I appreciate that, man. That's good stuff. Something that I've really been trying to fine-tune is routines and you know, starting your day off the same way, ending your day the same way. Because what happens in the middle of the day isn't always guaranteed. You can have a schedule, you can have a calendar, but in the end there's going to be variables that change the way your day goes. But typically, I know it's different for people who have kids, but if I'm a young athlete, if I'm a high school athlete, I would say 95 to 99% of the time, you can control what happens at the beginning of your day versus and also at the end of the day. So what are some things that you do at the beginning of the day, end of the day? What are some of your routines like? Now, this is really good. I'm, I'm going to send you a document I want you to post whenever you post this. Um, to me, I, I, I write a lot. So I, I schedule out my day. I use a journal called the Best Self Journal. So I write three things I'm grateful for. I try to kind of give a framework to my day, what I'm going to dedicate my time to. So that's really important to me. And then when I go to bed at night, I try to read. I read every single day. Uh, my goal is to read 10 pages, but normally it's more than that. Uh, so those are those are the big rocks, man. I think those are the things that help me to to really uh, keep investigating life and, and learning and pursuing, you know, being being the best I can be at what I do. How about you? Give, give me a couple of things that, uh, that you think about. When I wake up, the first thing I want to do is I want to I want to move because being physical kind of helps me helps my mind wake up. So I start out by doing my my cars controlled articular rotations. So they're joint-by-joint joint approach to movement, so I exercise each joint in my body. And then even though it might kind of sound weird, I go and do the dishes because to me, it's almost like a therapeutic thing. I don't know if it's the water or something, but it gets my brain activated. I got to concentrate on a task, and it also keeps my body moving. So move my body, and then uh, I make sure I get quiet. So I spend time reading. I make sure everything's quiet. Uh... If I feel like it, I make a coffee because I do enjoy coffee, but it's not every day. And then, then I'm I'm ready for my day to go from there. And at nighttime, usually it's it comes down to uh, being around my wife and enjoying time with her, because between work and other things that happen during the day, we don't get a lot of time together. So I make sure I spend quality time uh, with my wife at night. I love it, man. It's really good. It's time for the three-point play. Three questions putting our guest on the spot. Here we go. What's one book every athlete should read? A book that I read every year a couple times is The Alchemist. And I think it, it'll be a tough read for most like high school athletes. Every time you read it, you get something different out of it. It's about a journey. It's about a transformation. It's about life. So The Alchemist to me is one that is probably a little bit out there for some people. But for me, it's been a game changer and it's helped me to think through life. What's the first thing an athlete should do when they wake up? Uh, after thanking God for another day to live, I'd probably say drink water, about 12 to 16 ounces of water. What's the last thing an athlete should do before they go to bed? These are just my opinions, man, but I think before you go to bed, you should write and just kind of decompress, just a way to, to get all the, the thoughts on the inside outside. I love to document my life and what's going on and how, how I was thinking at a certain point. You know, and then you can go back and, and see how you kind of evolved as a thinker and as a person. Look, 
Let me restore the passion in golden era fashion. That that's corrupt, you'll turn me up while we print the atlas. Pray the pain won't be in vain. Pour you say the mask it. Why they kiss ass for traction? Build my own lane and lap them. Chances are they want the credit for your sacrifice. I'll hand you the patent and recreate it twice. Ready to die, you only one and better name your price. On my 25th hour, no relation to Spike. Ask for the spike in my price. Blame the economy. You heard 444. Hope will be proud of me since 22-2s. No competition here, honestly. My mantra is supposed to pay me. Call it a prophecy. Boxing one, there's no stopping me. Word to whoever you're praying to. Cooling in the layup line. Look at what y'all made me do. Laughing at advances now. That won't even pay the dues. Y'all stacking up y'all rosters. Suckers always. Pay the loot.